You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your home, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. This is Jeanne-Marie Penel for another episode of The Art of Parenting. And today I wanted to share with you an interview I did um, a few years ago of a doula, a doula trainer, Deborah Pasquale Bonaro. And we had a really fun conversation. Now, fast forward to uh, now, to today. I just did a two-day doula training to be a volunteer doula at the uh, UCSD teaching hospital. And I am super excited and a little anxious because there's a lot to know, a lot to learn, uh, really holding space for a birthing family is something that is dear to my heart. And yet, going through this training, I was like, wow, you know, there's a lot that we need to take in. So it really reminded me actually of my Montessori training for birth to uh, six, really, the, the whole kind of gamut of how we follow the child and how we are there every day for them, seeing them as a new child and being really in service to to children. And here I really feel that being a doula, walking into the room of a birthing family is going to be exactly that, really leaving the ego behind and really stepping in of service to the birthing family. So this is a new adventure for me, and I'm looking forward to it. And today, I just wanted, in honor of that, share this beautiful conversation I had with Deborah a few years back. So please enjoy and let me know in the comments what your takeaways are, um, what you know about doulas, if you're one, if you've used one, um, and such. I would love to know. Alrighty, enjoy. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have the honor of having Deborah Pascali Bonero with us from uh, Orgasmic Birth. Deborah, Thank you for being here and uh, welcome. And please share with the viewers the, the work that you do and, and a little bit about your background. Welcome. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and with all who are joining us today. And so a little bit about me. I started in birth over 30 years ago as a doula and I am a doula trainer. I have the real honor of teaching around the world and in all my travels and working with women and men, and I've been a childbirth educator during this time, as you said, I created the documentary Orgasmic Birth. We call it the best kept secret, although we're trying to make sure it's not a secret anymore. 
And I also co-authored the book, Orgasmic Birth, Your Guide to a Safe, Satisfying, and Pleasurable Birth. And most recently, I've given birth to an online childbirth class called Pain to Power Childbirth, really honoring that birth is a really powerful event. And why I'm so happy to be here, because it is kind of really preparing in childbirth and pregnancy and birthing your baby in joy and pleasure and safely that we can move into parenting with the greatest ease and joy as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and it's so true. I mean, I know in the, you know, the Montessori work I do, we, we talk a lot about the prenatal environment, but how important the birthing environment is. So how do you help parents, I mean, both both mothers and fathers, um, to really prepare to have what you call this pleasurable birth? And, and, and also, I'd like to talk about, you know, the, the concept of pleasurable birth, because I think birthing gets a bad rap that it's not so pleasurable. <laughs> so yes. I would love for you to elaborate for that, and especially for those listening who maybe are expecting and could get some some great tips. Yeah, thank you. So I think it's true. You know, when we look at the media today, all we hear about is pain and birth as an emergency and people go screaming. And we're not talking about that birth holds many opportunities. And first of all, I think that we have to go and begin by looking at what have we heard about birth? What was our own birth like? What are our messages as children in growing up? Because we're taking in kind of what the culture says. So my first step in preparing for birth is to really look at what our experience with and see if that really makes sense. Because so many of the stories of pain and fear and whatever are actually part of kind of a system that's out of control. So we want to start filling that with what are good images? What are healthy whole images? Because the body that grew the baby is really knows how to intuitively birth the baby. And we need to get in touch with that inner wisdom, that confidence that birth works. The next thing I say to people after they really identify where kind of their thoughts are coming from is to go deeper into learning that there's a full range of options, of movement, of dancing, of bringing joy and singing. And we birth the way we live. What are the pleasures you enjoy in life that you can bring kind of that pleasure, that smiling, those moments? Because what a lot of people don't think about when they think about birth is most labors and birth happen over 12 to 24 hours. But you're not in like a constant Charlie horse for 12 to 24 hours and all you feel is intensity. You have, and I even like to relanguage it, I don't call them contractions because for me, when I hear contraction, I think of tight and pain. And your mind is going to really go with what you the images you give. So I call them surges, our personal power surges, or waves, like riding waves in an ocean. So if we begin to use a language that doesn't bring us to pain, we can begin to experience it different. And as we can prepare and realize that just like a wave in the ocean or a power surge, it happens for a short period of time, and then 
We have five minutes that we feel like we feel right now where we can smile or dance or sing. And so when we think of pleasure in birth, one, I want you to make sure you find pleasure in those in-between moments, in that downtime where we can take a nap and drink and eat and move, dance and sing. And then we go deeper into how can we find pleasure even during the surge, because that's possible too. But if that's a challenging thought for many people, if you're listening to it for the first time, we really want to begin with how can you use those spaces and Labor is going to take us on so many rides of ups and downs of emotions and feelings and intensity and joy and bliss and ecstasy and challenge and transformation. And so good preparation will help you move through all of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for me, it's also reminding uh, when you talk about the surge and that time where you can uh, dance and sing that that. Uh, rest time is always longer than the surge time. I think that we have this thing, oh my gosh, it's going to, but you always have more time to, you know, recuperate from that big wave (laughs) and to, to, to get back on the next one. So, so yes, um, definitely. Um, And, and how do you deal kind of, I mean, I know you talked a little bit about it, about that whole relanguaging, but I think there's a real kind of fear-based epidemic around birth and also just a kind of medicalized, um, you know, aspect to it. And so when you talk about this birth experience, can this be anywhere you want? I mean, uh, those who choose to have a hospital birth or a birthing center or at home or um, whatever. I mean, how can you empower women to really own that whole experience no matter where they decide to give birth. And I think that's a good point because I think we all as humans and part of the animal world to birth where we feel safe. So safety is defined by each person and wherever you're going to feel the safest, have the most privacy and feel least observed. You know, I love to look at the animal kingdom and if you've ever had a cat give birth or a dog or, you know, been blessed to be around nature as they give birth, they'll always kind of create that nest, that den, they get to a salt a very small, private, often dark place. So as humans, we need to define that too. So if you're pregnant today and you're thinking about this, you want to say, where do you feel private? Where do you feel safe? Where will you be the least disturbed or observed? And some people, that's going to clearly be their home. Other people are going to choose a birth center. And other people are going to choose a hospital. And we can create in any environment that special space space or nest for ourselves. So I want to honor that I definitely see people having more pleasurable births in any setting. We do tend to see it a bit more at home or in birth center because in a medicalized environment, just thinking about being private in most hospitals Mm. is a little challenging when you have a door that doesn't lock. And You know, we do say that birth is a part of our sexual life and the exact same hormones need to be produced to have the safest and easiest birth as when we're having a safe, satisfying sexual experience. So a quick tip for women and their partner is to wherever you plan to give birth, can you envision 
having a safe sexual experience there? And if not, what would you need to do to change that environment so you could? So when you think about a hospital, you know, very few women, it's on our to-do list is to have a romantic <laughs> encounter in a hospital room. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I had never thought of it that way. I mean, I, I had two, two hospital births just because... That's, you know, um, I think honestly, I mean, if, if I'm going to be vulnerable, I just didn't know better, uh, you know, and, and um, one was kind of a, a birthing center and the other one was full on hospital. Uh, yeah, that would not be, <laughs> that would not be my place of choice. That's funny. Yeah. And how many uh, yeah. of you, when you like think about getting like nice and sexy, do you put your hospital gown on? <laughs> no. No. So I mean, we maybe to, some, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have to really rethink a little bit. A lot of the hospital policies and practices really came around in the 1920s to 1940s. And sadly, a lot of them are there right now. And even the hospitals are realizing some of it doesn't really support creating birth with ease. So we are at a transition time and we certainly can do this in a hospital, but we have to work a little harder. So simple things from like, you don't have to wear a hospital gown. And I say all the time, don't let anybody put you down in birth. And I mean that in every way, mm -hmm. right? This is a time you are the most powerful of your entire life and you want to feel your power. You want to be honored and respected in it. And you literally don't want to lay down. Down. I mean, how many elephants do you see giving birth on their back? Like Not too many. Yeah. No. Yeah. How we did this to humans, I go crazy. And I think, you know, we've been so conditioned into what I call a broken or a dysfunctional system that we see that as normal. And then when we think to pleasure, we can't imagine it happening. And that's because we can't imagine, and rightfully so, pleasure in a broken system. But when we go, and I certainly work in hospitals around the world where when women enter the room, the bed is not what they see in the middle of the room. In the middle of the room is open space. Those kind of high school gym mats are on the wall that they could put on the floor. There are birth balls, there are ropes, stools, a nice big tub so women can labor in it. And the bed many times is a futon so that it's off to the side in the corner. Only if you want to lay in it, can you? Mm -hmm. And so when we give women the option of movement, most women will find that they're way more comfortable and may not even use pain as, as a descriptive word if they don't get laying down and laying on their back. Mm -hmm. So it does take kind of looking in in a new way to the system to realize that there are so many simple things we can do that will bring you more comfort. Now, when you're at home, you think to keep upright and moving. You're not going to let anybody put you down. It's your home. And if someone's not treating you respectfully in your own home, what do we usually do? Get out. Get out. <laughs> and sadly, we reverse that often in hospitals. We feel like we're the guest. And so we often sometimes tolerate um, care or I hate to say it, but even disrespect sometimes from people not giving us the privacy or the choices we need. So a lot of this in pregnancy is about really relooking at this system and really making sure that you have a team. And I mean your midwife, your doctor, your partner, if you're inviting a doula, your mother, 
who is your birthing support team and making sure that they really are honoring and respecting your choices and that they understand your need for privacy and safety and to not disturb you so that you can do this sacred and incredible work of giving birth. Yes, and, and I like your point about, you know, just being in you know, a powerful that that it is like a time in our life where we are just the healthiest i mean for goodness sakes we're creating another human being right and that this the the whole kind of notion of pregnancy sometimes makes us feel like we are sick or we're a patient or we're just you know um so owning the the, the power and just that we are our we are the authority in birthing of how we want to to do it um so besides, you know, getting a good supportive team around you, how do you kind of empower maybe, you know, women who want to have this, you know, great experience, but choose maybe a hospital and, and they're just, you know, maybe their partner is worried or they're, they're kind of worried more from the, the medical <clears throat> aspect for the baby and all this. So can I mean, do you feel that today hospitals are more open to new ways and listening and really being respectful, or are we still kind of struggling with that? I mean, how 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 has that evolved? Do you think? And you know, there's not a definitive answer on that because it's going to be for each each woman to really carefully and and I I say this respectfully. You know, interview caregivers, um, check out different facilities. If you live where there's only one facility, then obviously that's your only choice. But many people are listening, living in an urban area where there might be many many facilities, and certainly within a half an hour radius, there might be a couple that they can choose from. So one of the first things I always say to them is find out your different facilities' rates of cesarean birth, their rates of using technology and interventions, and equally so, their rate of natural births. How many women labor in a shower or a tub are upright? Do they offer birth balls? Do they have doulas regularly? Do they support upright birthing and have tools for that like squat bars and squat stools? And so the first thing you need to do is some research is to really see that I many times in a small area, one hospital will have a very high C-section rate and a model that really only supports medicalized birth, women literally on their back and put down. And another hospital not far away has a doula program, showers, a couple tubs, midwives, and is offering a different model. So you really, it's kind of like I always say to moms, often people spend more time shopping for cars, computers, and cell phones asking good questions. And when it's their birth, they just go to the you know first person on the corner and assume that everything's the same. And today, it's not at all. Some hospitals are really progressing and changing, and others need a little push, um, and hopefully they'll come along. But I really say to people, you know, you need to find out what your preferences are for birth and then try to find the caregiver and the birth setting that's going to support that. If you want to give birth in a squat, you need to know that your caregiver has done several of them in the last three months. And if they can't tell you they have, then you're trying to win the lottery and go buy some tickets too. 
because too many people have preferences but end up not with caregivers that really do that model of birth. So so good. Good advice. Do do the interviews and really know know what you want and and advocate for it. So so and and surround yourself with those who are going to support your decisions as well. Um, because I know that that's not always easy, you know, even from our very close relatives they're you know, don't, don't maybe understand our, uh, reasoning behind and so forth. Um, I do have one question. You, you mentioned, uh, C-section, um, you know, rates. Sometimes there just has to be, um, because there yes. is, you know, there, there is an, a medical emergency, Sometimes C-sections are just done, not really for, for those reasons. But how do you empower, again, women who might be in that situation and to make it still, um, I don't know, I guess I always am wary of, of talking about all these beautiful births and that some women don't necessarily experience that or, or you know, um, I was talking to you earlier about my own two births. I had, you know, good normal births, but uh, they were a little bit hijacked. I mean, I, I think I, knowing what I know today, I would have probably advocated differently. So how do you help women still feel empowered with, you know, what has happened to them or if they come to a point where maybe there is a medical emergency and a C-section is the only, uh, uh, is, or belly birth, as I like to call it, uh, <laughs> is, is the only option. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And I really support that we are blessed to have access to cesarean birth. There is anywhere between 5 and 15% of mothers and babies that are really going to benefit from cesarean. And the same is true with our use of epidurals and other technology. I think it's, it's really a great option. I think they're greatly overused and we underuse a whole range of other options that I've been talking about doulas and waters and movement and all of that but when technology is needed and specifically as you questioned a cesarean what are the things we really cover in our pain to power childbirth class is that every birth can be done with dignity, love, respect, and can be a gentle birth, if not a pleasurable birth. And so I do a lot of teaching around when a cesarean is needed. How can we do that with more dignity, respect, love, and make that still a very sacred and special birth? And we are learning today that a lot of the things that we've done up to now in cesarean really can be revised. Simple things like lowering the drape when the baby's about to be born. And I work with a midwife and she's always in there as I am with her. And when the baby's about to come, the midwife will look at the mom and say, we're going to lower the drape so you can watch your baby born. And she says to the mother, push your baby out. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know in our mind at that point a mother is numb and she knows she's not really pushing her baby out. But the fact that everyone stops, that there's silence, that the mother is still the center of the birth. She's not behind a drape and people sadly sometimes are talking about the game last night and what was on television and like her baby's being born and there's this disrespect. We're now changing that. And we're also learning 
learning that babies don't need to be taken and put over on that stupid, I call it the French fry warmer, you know, good for McDonald's French fries, not for babies. They can even in a cesarean have one delayed cord clamping, which we know is important, two go immediately after the cords clamped and cut to the mother and be placed skin to skin. We can... I often, when I'm with moms in cesarean, we sing the baby into the world and choose our favorite song and sing. So I want mothers to know that if a cesarean is needed, there are so many ways that we can do that with more love, joy, and respect that will have lasting impacts on her memory and her feeling about birth. And if mothers have had cesareans and they haven't been as gentle, as respectful as possible, there are many ways to heal. And we do a lot of in the early postpartum days of working, healing, processing. And if mothers want when the time is right, of even spending some time with their baby kind of rebirthing them in reenacting what they would have wanted in those special moments to welcome their baby and allow themselves to um, give their baby that even if it's weeks later to welcome them in this joyful way. Wonderful. Well, I've, I had, I had not heard of that, of that, the, you know, kind of reenacting, which, which makes sense for those who might've had a birth that they didn't really, um, you know, I mean, and I've heard doulas actually say this of, you know, you can plan and you can have your, your kind of birth plan, but know that, you know, it might not be, uh, actually, there was a doula once I heard, she said, do three copies, keep one for yourself in your in your bag, give one to your care provider and burn the third one so that you're open to, you know, also what needs to happen sometimes. So, so, but it, it's good to be able to process what you wish maybe would have happened or, or how you would have liked it differently. Um, Deborah, we, we talk a lot about, you know, parenting in this summit. Um, I'd love for you to just kind of touch upon why this first experience when we first meet our child, why this is so important for the rest of our kind of our parenting journey. I mean, why birth is so important. Yeah, I just, just, yeah. just owning that and how yeah. it's really going to, you know, create this, the, this, the beginning of our parenting journey um, yes. in a positive way. Well, one thing that, you know, Penny Simpkin, my mentor and a great educator has taught us is birth just is not another day. It's a day in a woman's life that profoundly affects who she is and affects her memory of, of birth all her life. But it also, we know from studies that some women who really own their birth, literally their self-esteem goes up and they take that out into parenting and into their careers, into all of their life. But sadly, too many women, if they feel disrespected, put down, and don't have a birth in a way that they like, they feel less than and literally self-esteem goes down. And sadly, it doesn't just go down for the day. They're following it that these women often take that lower self-esteem into parenting and into life. So there is no other day in our life like childbirth where we can reorient to who we are and how we feel about our body 
body and our abilities. So I think the more that I've worked in birth and really see this now for 30 years, I I feel we should be talking about childbirth to kids in school planting the seed, that we should in college have it integrated into our courses, and that everyone needs to know it's a day that you deserve to do the way you want with the incredible respect, love, and support of both your care team and those you choose for support. And not putting the effort in is really can backfire on you because as you said, we're seeing a growing number of women that instead of coming out of birth ecstatic, which I know is almost every person's birthright, too many people are coming out with traumatic experiences. And that we all want the best for our child, but we need the best for ourselves too because by coming through birth feeling whole, you're able to offer then all your love to your baby and to really enter parenthood with strength and feeling like you're a capable parent, which you are because you grew this baby. And so for me, it's all back to trust that intuition, the intuition that you're most women, if you ask them if they've had a difficult birth, look back, they had a sense prior to the birth that they weren't getting the respect they needed, or they weren't really getting all the options that they wanted. They weren't hearing the answers. And they kind of, you know, thought, oh, it's my doctor, or it's the hospital, and I need to be the good patient, or, you know, I shouldn't question. Well, I want to tell you, you should. And you really need to advocate because this is a day that's going to be with you forever. And if you want to enter parenting, it really the best prepared, then you want to have the birth that you desire and deserve to. Wow. Thank you. I wish I had met you 19 years ago. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Um, now, just, just to shift a little bit to a more personal and maybe more of a, a parenting question. Um, I know that you have five children, um, three biological, you told me, and, and stepchildren, but you have raised five uh, children. Going back to your eldest um, and, and being that expecting mother, um, what wise words, knowing all that you know today and you, you, you know all the amazing work that you've done with, with um, mothers, what would be the wise words that you would tell yourself back then on how you're going to enter motherhood um, and that whole, that whole journey? To, and it really almost what I just said, I wish I had more people that had told me and I should have told myself to listen to my intuition. I did too much of looking outside to the books and the experts for the validation. And it took me to baby number two to kind of throw all that out and say, you know, I know what my baby needs. I'm not going to let someone tell me like to only feed them this many times or, you know, even breastfeeding I was still breastfeeding him at like nine months and people started really hassling me to wean him and I was actually starting to listen to them and thank goodness at one point I called the Leche League and I said to them you know I'm really struggling how do you wean a baby and they said to me why are you weaning a baby and I said because everyone's telling me I should and the woman said to me how do you feel and 
that was kind of my moment at nine months where someone validated that my feelings mattered or counted. And I said, I just really enjoy breastfeeding. And she said, then hang up and go breastfeed your baby and stop <laughs> listening to everybody. So I truly wish I had stopped sooner and realized that I had all that I needed within me. And if I would follow my baby, follow my heart, follow my wisdom, I think those nine months would have been much easier for me and for him. Mm-hmm. Yes, so true, so true. And, and, and this is a theme that has come back. Is that This is a question that I'm asking all the experts, and it's so much about trusting ourselves as, as parents and just you know trusting ourselves and trusting our child that, that we both know what each other needs. So very, very powerful. Thank you. Uh, Deborah, this has been really delightful getting to know you and, and listen to the wise words and, and just um, so, so empowering. And I, and I hope that all the viewers really, um, you know, tune in to that, to, to their great power. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It's truly been a pleasure being here. And I look forward to staying connected to, those, to you and to all those that are listening as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.